we meet at a time when the geopolitical architecture of the world is under great stress and faces huge challenges. And as representatives of our country, in the countries where you are deployed, you are essentially keen players and actors on the global stage where the foundations of world diplomacy are facing enormous shifts. So it does behove of, on you as our representatives to be absolutely clear on our foreign policy direction and also to meet like this as we meet to discuss precisely those geopolitical shifts that the world is going through right now. The pandemic has upended national economies. <clears throat> it has also upended health systems and societal relations. It has also changed the diplomatic landscape, as we well know. I <clears throat> stand here to thank you all for the incredible work that you've all been doing on behalf of the people of South Africa, representing our country and flying our flag at this trying time. It is not upon you to give yourself a round of applause, but today I want you to do that. In addition to representing our interests in your host countries, you've had at this very trying time to provide services in emergency situations that was uncertain and rapidly changing. Our thanks in particular go to the missions that had to assist a number of South Africans scattered all over the world when moments of rep repatriations descended on them, particularly in the early days of the pandemic. Who will ever forget how that plane from China, Hunan, had to come and land in Limpopo, and the entire country's eyes were fixed on that plane which was carrying the South Africans and Thanks once again for the work that was done by our diplomats, not only in China, but in many parts of the country where you had to do real hard work to make sure that we care for those who were engulfed in the pandemic. So thank you once again for all that work. It was dangerous work, but it was essential work. And we thank you for all the work that you did and I thank you on behalf of the people of South Africa. Over the past two years, and at different points, we have been swept up by both undesirable and favorable currents. The global response to the pandemic has seen incidents of narrow self-interest, protectionism, parochialism, and at times, even anti-Africanism. 
At the same time, we have also borne witness to the remarkable acts of solidarity and unity of purpose that we had never expected from a number of quarters around the world. We witnessed countries coming together to support each other, to access medical supplies, equipment, and different forms of economic relief, especially in developing economy countries. Our missions abroad played a large part in forging these relationships and will need to sustain these relationships in the years ahead. Whatever help our country received and whatever help and assistance our continent received, we know was engineered by the various interventions that many of you had initiated and had built over a number of years. Because all this did not just happen. It happened because our country's representatives have been at work over a long period preparing for eventualities such as these so that we can get the assistance, not only as South Africa, but also as our continent that we received. What has also been remarkable is the resilience and increasing self-reliance that has been forged in the fire of this crisis, particularly on the part of African nations. The AU's coordinated response to the pandemic has significantly advanced the cause of African unity. South Africa was closely involved in this effort as we assumed the chairship of the AU just weeks before COVID arrived on our shores. In the space of just two short years, the continent has made remarkable strides in strengthening institutional capacity, being able to have repositioned the CDC and made it an organization or an institution that is respected around the world. We also achieved remarkable results in building health system resilience and in advancing the case for the localization of life-saving medical supplies. What we can perhaps be proudest of is the principled stance that our country has taken on the issue of equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines. It was South Africa, alongside India, that initially sponsored the proposal to the WTO for a temporary TRIPS waiver to enable countries to produce their own vaccines. This stance has put us firmly as a country on the, on the side of social justice. Also, we were positioned very firmly on principled solidarity and reaffirmed our commitment to progressive internationalism. There are a great many lessons that have been learned from this pandemic. We've learned about the frailties of the global economy. The pandemic has heightened 
the dire material condition of the world's poor, the world's marginalized, and illustrated just how critical it was for us to make more efforts to overcome global inequality. We've learned also that as African countries, we will not meet the aspirations contained in Agenda 2063 if we are not united and if we do not speak with one single voice. If there ever was a time when our continent was united in approaching a calamity, this was when we approached COVID-19 together as a united continent. And we set out an example that many other continents have looked on to Africa with great envy. We have also realized that we need to develop and produce our own medical supplies from diagnostics to therapeutics to vaccines and also pharmaceuticals so that we can strengthen our national health systems and continental health institutions. The pandemic has challenged the notion that richer countries can successfully insulate themselves from the plight or the challenges that developing economy countries face. If the world is to successfully overcome this crisis, the altruism that brought communities and societies together in the early days of the pandemic must deepen as we work to overcome our domestic and global challenges. A little over a year ago, South Africa received its first COVID-19 vaccine treatment shipment. Now, nearly 18 million South Africans are fully vaccinated, nearing about 44%. We still yearn to reach the 70%. The first COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing plant in Africa is now producing vaccines in South Africa for the domestic as well as the international markets. This has been a phenomenal achievement on the part of our country, which is recognized globally as well. Also right here in South Africa, the WHO mRNA vaccine technology transfer hub one of six of the, on the continent is working on technology and skills transfer in the licensing of the mRNA vaccines with local producers. The progress that we have made since little over a year ago is a product, amongst other things, of determined diplomacy. It is a product that you also, as our representatives, around the world have contributed in ensuring that it is achieved. You have taken principled positions as you have explained our position on the WTO TRIPS vaccine waiver and you did not falter at all. In the course of the pandemic, South Africa's voice on the international stage has been amplified and I should say we also thank you for the roles that you have played in making sure that our voice is heard in various courts 
various centers around the world. So thank you to you as well. In positioning South Africa's diplomacy, the African agenda is paramount, as we all know. The continental response to COVID-19 has given the cause of African unity a new lease of life. Africa has found a new voice that is bold, but also a voice that is unapologetic, where we are able to stand upright and articulate our views, our cause as the African continent. As we look to recovery and reconstruction, I call on you as heads of our mission to use all the diplomatic tools at your disposal to advance the political, the economic and social interests of our country, but of course of our continent as well. The coming into operation of the African continental free trade area is the singular most important step towards continental economic integration. It is up to us to ensure that this treaty does succeed. Possibly more on us as South Africa as the most industrialized country on our continent. Our missions must be at the forefront of building networks and being part of the activities that will strengthen the AFCFTA. South Africa has just completed the chairship of the African Peer Review Forum. The African Peer Review Mechanism is, as we all know, a critical tool to advance good governance and democracy under the Agenda 2063. But beyond African countries themselves, there is still not enough awareness and not enough recognition of the importance of the APRM and what it has achieved. Even less is known even in our own country about South Africa's review processes and our implementation of the recommendations that have flown from our review or being reviewed by our peers as they have analyzed our own country and various initiatives that are underway and what we do, they've put forward recommendations as our peers and we've been gladly able to implement quite a number of them. We have exposed ourselves to our peers on the continent and enabled and allowed them to look at us very critically. And this is often not known and recognized. Publicizing our successes in advancing democracy, good governance and human rights must form an essential part of our public diplomacy processes. We must intensify the effort to silence the guns on our continent. We had this as an objective during our chairship of the AU. And of course, as we focused more of our attention during our chairship on COVID-19, this was a task that was not achieved. But fortunately, it has been extended by a number of other years 
so that we can see how best the continent, and of course with South Africa participating actively in those efforts, that we can silence the guns on our continent. The ongoing conflict in Ethiopia, the insurgency in Cabo Delgado, in Mozambique province, the unconstitutional removal of governments in Burkina Faso, in Mali and Guinea, show the depth and the extent of the challenges that our continent must confront. Because these are a blight on the image of the continent that has sought to ensure that the guns are silenced and democracy is embraced right from the north to the south and the west to the east of our continent. These developments must encourage us to do more and to act with greater urgency to remove every last vestige of war or conflict from our continent. Peace and stability is vital for development, as we all know, because you cannot really have meaningful economic development and social equity when there is war in your country. As a country, our fortunes are inextricably linked and bound with the security and prosperity of our continent. The war in Ukraine has had an extraordinary impact on global affairs, and these developments will continue to define international relations into the future. These are part of the tectonic shifts that are taking place at the geopolitical level. The conflict has caused extensive destruction and immense human suffering. As a country, we are committed to the articles of the United Nations Charter, including the principle that all member states shall settle and should settle their disputes by peaceful means. As Minister Pandos stated, we've taken a very clear and firm principled position on this. We support the principle that members <clears throat> should refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity of other states. The conflict has exposed the inability of the United Nations Security Council to fulfill its mandate of maintaining international peace and security. The current forma for formation of the United Nations Security Council, in our view as a continent, is outdated and unrepresentative, no doubt, because it disadvantages countries with developing economies, particularly our own continent. The entire peace and security architecture of the United Nations needs to be overhauled. Decision-making needs to be democratized so that the Council can be true to its mandate and move beyond the paralysis brought about by a few member states. Powerful countries must no longer be allowed to disregard international law. We need to curb the unilateral actions of these countries to shape global politics through aggression and coercive measures like the imposition of unilateral sanctions, for instance. 
in keeping with our strong commitment to the peaceful resolution of conflict, we have urged the parties to this conflict to pursue negotiated political solution. We have encouraged our international partners to consider confidence-building measures that will bring the parties closer together rather than adopt measures that will further alienate the parties and result in the escalation of the armed conflict. We are deeply concerned about the broader implications of the conflict in the Ukraine for the global economic recovery, also from COVID-19. This conflict has, has disrupted global supply chains, it has driven up the price of essential commodities, and plunged the world into a new era of economic instability and uncertainty. Our continent is also affected negatively as a result of this conflict. Food and fuel prices are skyrocketing, affecting the livelihoods of many of the people on our continent. There is a need for us as Africa to develop a clear position on how we should respond to the consequences of this conflict. The AU needs to develop this clear position so that each of our countries, as we become affected, as we are as South Africa affected, it should be clear on how the continent should be handling the consequences of this conflict. The focus on the African agenda and resources committed to it have been diverted, and urgent global issues like climate change have been eclipsed by the rising global tensions. Our fundamental responsibility as a global community is to ensure that the human suffering that is unfolding in the Ukraine is brought to an end and that a sustainable and a just peace is achieved. As a global community, we have an equal responsibility to bring a decisive end to the human suffering that we see unfolding in a number of other parts of the world, in Yemen, in Palestine, in Libya, in Mali, in the Sahel region, in Somalia, in South Sudan, in Mozambique, in Ethiopia, and indeed in the Eastern DRC. We will continue our efforts to bring about peace in a number of these conflict zones. South Africa will continue to leverage its membership in multilateral fora to advance the cause of peace, because peace and the respect for human rights is the bedrock of our foreign policy. We will defend our non-aligned position and maintain an independent foreign policy as well. We will pursue our national interest as we pursue the common interests of our global humanity. We need to ensure that countries with developed economies honor their obligations 
to support developing economic countries in climate change mitigation and adaptation as many developing economies were essentially not the cause for the climate change that the world is experiencing now. Specifically, we need to encourage more strategic partnerships to mobilize funding for a just transition to low carbon economies. Now, as heads of missions, you are tasked with leading the drive to promote our country abroad. And Minister Pando could not have said it any better. Because whatever you do, whatever you say, wherever you are, as our representatives, you should always remember that you are representing South Africa and the 60 million people that constitute our population. So it cannot be that you are representing yourself. You are representing the people of South Africa. And you act in the name of those people of this country. In this period of reconstruction and recovery, our foremost responsibility is, of course, to foster economic growth, but economic growth that will result in the creation of jobs. So we want you to be ambassadors, not just for our flag, but also for our economy. You need to seek out new ways to grow trade and attract investment into South Africa. And I must say, I've been really pleasantly encouraged as I travel to a number of those countries that I've visited, and I see how our high commissioners, how our ambassadors are so deeply immersed in the task of mobilizing investments for our country, talking to your counterparts as well as potential investors in the countries where you are deployed, articulating the great advantages of investing in South Africa. But I've also been so keenly impressed by the level of understanding that you have of the various sectors of our economy. Last night, I participated in the launch of a book, a handbook, they call it, the Oxford Handbook of the South African Economy. I recommend it very highly for each one of you to get hold of uh, this handbook. If it was Christmas already, I would have said each one of you will get a copy uh, in your Christmas box. But I'm afraid it's not Christmas yet. But I do recommend that you should get a copy of this book because it outlines, it outlines the structure of our economy and it outlines also in a historical way where our economy has come from, from almost colonial times but more apartheid times right through the 27 years. 
and some of the initiatives that we have taken to turn our economy around, where we have succeeded and where we have not quite succeeded. And it addresses the challenges that our country faces, our economy faces. I recommend it because as you, many of you and nearly all of you have demonstrated your keen knowledge of our economy as well as how you continue to mobilize for investments. This is the type of book that you should have on your bookshelf. Yes, a number of you come up with initiatives, interventions that are interesting as you talk to various investors in the countries where you are. You need to pave the way for outbound investment into existing and new markets. We count on you to market abroad the immense opportunities that exist in the South African economy. The Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan is our roadmap, and each of you have an essential role to play in its implementation and in its articulation as well. In the State of the Nation Address in February, I provided an update to the country on our progress in implementing the ERRP, as we call it, but also in articulating our plans for the future. Our missions need to provide progress updates on structural reform, our infrastructure build program, our immigration reform, and new investments in all their engagements. And I'm glad to know that many of you do that already. We need to be briefing potential investors on the progress that we are making. I saw that during the investment conference, how investors are interested in the progress that we are making on our reform project. We should, for instance, for example, refer to the fourth South African Investment Conference, which was held just about two weeks ago, which resulted in some 332 billion rand in new investment pledges. We should report that we have now reached not 65%, Minister Pando, which I heard you say, that we have reached 95% of the 1.3 trillion rand target, we said. Some heads of mission have taken the initiative in recent years to bring business delegations to our investment conferences and to our tourism and mining in Darbas, film festivals and aerospace shows. And I want to thank you and congratulate you for that because this is the type of initiative that we want to see. More than, as I said earlier, being just diplomats, you are also economic envoys. You are envoys speaking on behalf, yes, of the president, but speaking on behalf of the people of South Africa. I'd like that to be prominent in your mind because with a economic challenges that the world is facing now, economic diplomacy is what 
is often prominent for many countries. And I have seen this very, very keenly as I've interacted with a number of heads of government. We talk politics for a little while, but most of the interactions are on promoting the economic development in our various countries. And this is what we need to focus on. And one other aspect which I'd like to talk about is how, as we visit the countries where you are, we should, in the course of either a state visit or a binational, uh, we should have economic forums or investment forums with the various business people in those countries as well as bring business people from our country. Now, most of the work in the end has to be done by yourselves. As you mobilize the local business people and interest them in investing in South Africa, but also interacting with our various departments here, DTI, DERCO, and a number of others, to mobilize business people who will travel with us. We found as we visited West Africa towards the end of last year that indeed a number of even emerging black business people came on the trip and what flowed out of those, that trip or the visit to those four countries were business opportunities that a number of them were able to speak about. So essentially, you should see yourselves as economic envoys on behalf of your country, and that is why economic diplomacy has become so prominent and must become so prominent in the work that you do. Our heads of mission should look at the needs of our various provinces as well and understand the type of industries that we need to help lift people out of poverty. I have challenged our provinces and I've said to all of them that they should prepare their investment books. Because as we travel around in some countries, they often say, what opportunities exist in your country? Now, uh, provinces have started doing that and a number of them have concluded their investment books, which you should have. But through the district development model as well, which we have started to implement. We are at the national, provincial, and local government level getting a much clearer position of the economic architecture in each of our provinces, but also at district level. And it is this that you should also get more interested in. In this respect, provinces can rely on the analysis undertaken as part of the district development model to decentralize and diversify our economy. I continue to challenge our provinces and our municipalities that they too must get involved in economic development and fostering growth. And I challenge them to be economic centers because investments do not take place at the union buildings. Investments take place at the local government level so that they themselves 
should create conducive environments for investors to come and invest in our local areas. And local government is the area where we face enormous challenges, as you would know, as we've often articulated. But we are addressing that on an ongoing basis because we want to reposition our local government entities, our municipalities at both local and district level to be real reservoirs of economic activity. And we are encouraging our municipalities to correct the many things that have not been going well in our various local government areas so that they become really attractive for investors. Budget constraint over training provinces and cities is one way to forge economic relations with countries abroad. And a number of you have already started doing that. You've been advocating for the twinning of various provinces and cities. And of course, we'd like to be uh, more informed so that we have line of sight of all that. But that too encourages investment because those, our own provinces and other provinces or states in other various parts of the world often see commonalities between themselves and those provinces that we have in our country, and that fosters economic growth as well. So we do encourage that, but with us having a clear line of sight of the compacts that are arrived at and the various activities that are embarked upon. Budget constraints have impacted on the work of our diplomats. We know that. But this does not mean we have to be any less effective. Yes, budget constraints have affected many aspects of our work. With our national finances hopefully becoming better and better as our tax collection continues to rise we will most probably see some positive changes that will also help to enhance your work. But as our diplomats, you do need to be more innovative and find ways of practicing your craft. We need to adopt or adapt rather to digital diplomacy and host targeted seminars to sell our country. We need to scale up on public diplomacy efforts, including with South Africans living abroad. I've often heard a number of South Africans saying that they want to invest back in their home country. And those are the ones that we need to mobilize. Some of them are keen, they're willing, they just need to be herded in a particular direction and regain interest and attraction to their country, if not to return, but just to invest in our country. I just returned from Dubai Expo, where I had the opportunity to meet with South African business owner who is doing remarkable work in the hospitality industry. He has created uh, a mini South African marketplace in Dubai and South Africans just throng to the place that he has created. Of course, it is about uh, commodities uh, that we find in our 
I know Christos here, including food, and he says, since we have been so positive about fostering investment in our country, he has found his business rising and rising, but he continues to fly the flag. And he boasts, and I saw it, that with every hamburger he sells, with every rump steak that he sells from South Africa, to whomsoever he puts a South African flag on top of that. So that is fantastic. That's the best way to sell our country. And he sells all manner of things, including chakalaka, including, you know, uh, iwisa maize and everything. And he brings everything from home right to Dubai. And he has created a mini South Africa precinct in that place. And South Africans working and living in Dubai just throng to this place because it gives them a home feeling. Uh, we need to popularize these stories and see how we can craft communications like the successful homecoming revolution campaign. Such initiatives can and do make a difference because ultimately we want all South Africans to be part of our country's development. We are emerging from the dark days of a devastating global pandemic that has also negatively affected us. And if you we want to now fully understand how negatively it affected us, we have to think about those two million workers who lost their jobs. For two million people to lose their jobs within a period of two years, is quite a mammoth number. Those who stood by us through this time have proven to be solid, dependable, and dependable partners. This is no small part due to the diplomatic efforts of the men and the women who are in this room today. As we strive for an equitable recovery, we will continue to count on you to be our emissaries for economic growth, just as you helped us to get life-saving equipment and then vaccines, we want you now to bring investments to our country. I wish I could stay here with you all day, but I have to fly to East London, where we are launching uh, from a Japanese automaker a particular line of uh, manufacturing where they've invested a lot of money. So I have to go there. But I do wish you well in the deliberations uh, that you will have here today. Your deliberations during this conference are going to be much more important, possibly much more important than the previous ones because we have to analyze and also fully understand your own take as our emissaries of what is happening, not only globally, but also in your own countries, because we continue to face challenges that do impact on our own foreign policy. I urge you to continue to serve your country with pride and to make our foreign missions centers of excellence. Continue with your most urgent task of continuing to build a better South Africa, 
and realizing a better Africa and in the end, a better world, notwithstanding the challenges that the world continues to face right now. Remember that you are South Africans and you are the best that we have deployed to various parts of the world. Thank you very much. Thank you.